to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey, what's up? And welcome to another episode of EST, the podcast for established church leaders by actual church leaders. My name is Josh King, and I am joined by my friend and brother, Micah Fries. How are you today, brother? Dude, I'm great. It's a glorious day in Chattanooga, Tennessee, man. How are, how's life in Arkansas? Uh, it's getting rainy. We're getting some uh, wintry mix coming oh, into the area. But, you know what yeah. I refer to snow as, right? Um, I know you don't like it. I don't remember I don't. what you... Call I it. call it the spit of Satan. It is, uh, <laughs> sign of the curse, man. <laughs> man, I love snow. I love I snow, snow, thick snow that doesn't stick. I just want to kind of like dance in it, but then not drive off. I'm convinced that our theology of hell is all wrong and it's, it's not going to be hot. It's going to be really, really cold with mm. snow and ice. <laughs> I would love to see you uh, exegete some of those Revelation passages. But yes. <laughs> the lake of fire, and by fire, I mean cold water. I mean, yeah, fiery ice. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it burns. Yeah. So, I'm glad that you're back on the show. You had uh, Thanks, some medical procedures. Did you – you haven't yeah. heard back uh, – we had all kinds of fun with that, but I'm glad that you are back on the show. Oh, I have not listened to those episodes yet. I need well, they to, haven't even yeah. posted yet. So, uh, well, see, I've, I've had some back issues, and so yeah, I had to, I had to have a little thing done. And anyway, but I'm feeling better now. Almost no back pain. I'll just uh, I'll just say that we had fun um, guessing what the medical issues were that you were <laughs> you were out for. So. I'm, I'm the old man on the show, so I'm the brother. <laughs> That's exactly right. All right. Well, hey, man, we, we have, have some. some yeah, Go we have ahead. some really cool guests today on the show with us. They're they're uh, connecting with us from Portland, Oregon. They both work for the Luis Palau Association. Kevin Palau, he's president and CEO of the Luis Palau Association and has been leading that for uh, quite a long time now, since the late 1990s. And then maybe, I don't know if he's the newest member of the Luis Palau team or not, but he is a very new member of the team, Desmond Henry, but he's not new to the EST podcast. He was on our podcast maybe a year and a half ago. That's right. One of our best listened to episodes. Yeah, we've had a lot of people listen to that episode. Mm -hmm. And uh, Des currently lives, still lives in Johannesburg, South Africa, born and raised there, but is going to be moving to the glorious United States. In fact, I asked him when we logged on this this, uh, this morning if he was wearing his red, white, and blue t-shirt yet. <laughs> but Des is a missiologist from South Africa. Kevin and Des, we're glad you guys are with us. Thank you so much. Great to be on from uh, rainy Portland, Oregon. Awesome oh. to be a part of the show. Thank you, Micah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Des. So we're the topic to, uh, sort of of the day is just thinking through how we communicate the gospel um, in our various contexts. And of course, Luis Palau has been doing this so well. I, I have, in fact, I need to tell you guys one of the great moments uh, in life and ministry for me was being in Dallas, Texas, when I worked for Ed Stetzer and getting to meet Luis. I've got a picture of him that I keep of me and Luis on the platform at Prestonwood Baptist Church there in the Dallas area, and uh, and thankful for the Luis Palau Association, who has helped equip, not only share the gospel, but equip churches and pastors to share the gospel really, really well. So I'm excited to be able to talk through what it means to share the gospel in our context today. Well, and it is, yeah, as we all know, even if, if we're in from rural areas, I mean, our culture's changing so quickly. It can, it can be a pretty daunting, discouraging time. Uh, and, and some, you know, the culture changing so quickly can make us feel like we almost don't have the ability to communicate anymore, which is, a, we want to combat that every way we can. 
Yeah. I, so when I worked for Ed, he used to say it really, really well. I thought I thought he had a helpful way of defining it. He, he would say that it's not so much that that Christianity is on decline in the U.S., though there are arguments obviously to that end. Uh, it's that we have lost the home field advantage in the U.S. And so what mm-hmm. used to feel like you know our cultural home doesn't feel like that anymore. And oftentimes Christians in our churches just are bewildered, not knowing how to even swim in the culture, let alone how do we communicate the gospel in the culture. And so, uh, yeah, anyway, I'm really thankful for you guys working to help remedy that issue. Well, for us, you know, uh, in our context in Portland, Oregon, one positive of living in among the least churched parts of the country is is we are quicker to recognize that a, a helpful theological framework for where we find ourselves is more the idea of exile. You know, yeah. for the churches of yep. Portland, Jeremiah 29, 7 has been a real galvanizing verse. Seek the shalom, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile, because it feels that way. Right. Pray to the Lord for it, for if it prospers, you too shall prosper. I think, I think when you can recognize that God has allowed us to be in this situation and we can kind of get over pitying ourselves or having either a posture of anger and fighting, which is not helpful, especially in evangelism, uh, or retreating and withdrawing and kind of protecting ourselves in an evangelical bubble, you you can trust the Lord and and begin to see fruit. I mean, it's very encouraging what we're seeing God do in Portland through the churches. Yeah, I love that you use Jeremiah 29, 7. Des has actually heard me preach on that text probably three or four times, I would guess. I was just down in South Africa with him a few months ago preaching on that text. And uh, one of the things I love that you hit on, Kevin, is that I think it's three or four times in that broader Jeremiah 29 text. Uh, God says to Jeremiah, speak to, the, to, the, to those that I have exiled. In Babylon, yes. speak, and and that language to me is important because it helps them understand. Because I think the Jews were thinking at that time, uh, you know, we're here because we messed up, or because God is angry with us, or because Babylon is powerful. And God says, no, 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 you're there as a part of my divine plan in this time and in this moment to seek the shalom of the city. I, I live in not a least churched area. Chattanooga, by, according to George Barna, is the number one most church city in North America. Wow. And yet that is exactly the paradigm that we're using in our city to think about cultural engagement, because there's gospel sort of light influences all over our city. And yet less than 20% of our city is engaged in an evangelical church on a regular mm. basis every week. Mm. And if we're the most church city in North America, and less than 20% of our city goes to an evangelical church every week, then it tells me that the entire culture, every city all over the U.S. is a place where we're going to struggle to find ourselves fitting in and have to understand yes. how to engage the culture with the gospel. Yep, exactly. That's really good. Des, so talk to us a little bit because Des comes with a global perspective. Des comes from the global south, which I love because the uh, African continent is now sort of this dominant missiological feeder for the rest of the world. We're taking our cues from the global south and from Africa. Des, talk to us a little bit about how you think about how you see it and how you think about it from your context. Yeah, thanks, Micah. I think certainly from the global South perspective, there there is a huge amount of growth in 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 Christians um, or among Christians in, in the global South. Uh, there's still a huge amount of work to be done. We we haven't crossed that line, I don't think, just yet. Uh, in many ways, I think uh, Africa is known to be a, a mile wide but an inch deep when it comes to the Christian faith. And in many senses, I think that uh, we have a, a failure of of inculcating a culture of discipleship within our evangelistic efforts. 
uh, where we, we really need to pick that up in terms of follow-up and connecting with local churches and, and equipping believers to go and do likewise. But there are huge opportunities in the global south to proclaim the gospel, uh, and there, there are incredible responses that are happening right around the world. And uh, it's, it's an incredible moment in history right now for us to embrace uh, sharing the faith globally and ushering people into the kingdom of God from every nation, tongue, and tribe. Josh, how are you guys seeing effective, uh, seeing at your church in Conway, Arkansas, what, the greater Little Rock area? How are you, how are you seeing your church and your people equipped to effectively communicate the gospel? Yeah, I think what we've been talking about so far with this understanding that we're not actually in a Christian world, Christian nation, those sort of things, just operating from an, uh, a point of view that we have to act and contextualize and to communicate the gospel in such a way that we are, you know what I mean? We're not, sometimes I, I regularly tell the church, you think this last week we were joking on Sunday and I said, I know that you sort of get into this fault default mindset where you think, I've got my friends, I like my church, and everybody else in town is going to New Life, which is the big mega church in town. And I said, uh, that's just not the case. So in our statistics, 33% of people are not engaged um, in a religious service at all on the weekends. But even more than that, even those who are engaged with religious services haven't found Jesus yet. So the 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 two manners that I would say to answer your question specifically is pulling the blinders off and saying just because people are engaged in church or just because they live in the United States South or the Southeast, they're not necessarily Christians. And then furthermore, or they're not necessarily going to church at all. But even if they are, you got to understand that the gospel has more implications than just voting for a certain party or um, saying please and thank you. So mm. just kind of pulling the blinders off on those two sides of who needs to hear the gospel and what the gospel actually is really affects the way that we approach our lost friends or our family. Yeah, this is. I think this is good, Josh. One of the things that we like to say at Brainerd is that everybody is a good evangelist. And, and, I, and that always kind of makes people sort of their eyebrows arch a little bit. But if you think about it, what is evangelism? It, uh, it's, it's rooted in the idea of sharing good news, right? That's sort of foundational to the idea of what, what it means to do evangelism. I don't know of anybody in the world who's bad at sharing good news. You, you meet the person who's just had their first grandchild, mm -hmm. get out of the way because they're going to pull up their iPhone and you're going to see 3,200 pictures, you know, right. from the hospital. Of the baby that looks just like everybody else's baby. It looks, <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you meet the, you know, when I, so I'm a big Kansas City Royals fan. In 2015, when the Royals won the World Series, Josh, how annoying was I? No, no, it's all right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was incessantly annoying. Why? Because I had good news. We're all good evangelists. Somehow we take the good news of the gospel and it becomes daunting in a way that any other good news is not daunting for us to communicate. We're not, you know, we don't think about offending people when it comes to talking about grandkids or our favorite sports team. Or if you're a pastor and you, you had a high attendance and you want to share that with somebody, those are not daunting pieces for us. But somehow, for some reason, when it comes to Jesus, that becomes more daunting. Kevin, why do you think it is that that's so daunting to people? 
Yeah, I th- I think um, the context we're in right now does make it a bit harder when you look at the polarization politically. Mm, and again, yeah. I, I'll just speak briefly on our our Portland context. It's funny, could not be more opposite than um, let's say Chattanooga and, and and Conway in the sense that. You know, we really are in a situation where if someone – you were joking at the beginning about, hey, does Desmond have a, you know, red, white, and blue uh, T-shirt on? If you were wearing an American <laughs> flag shirt kind of a thing in, in Portland, you would probably have people make a comment or, or, or something like that. There's such an ingrained kind of anti-establishment uh, – sense here and sensibility. So I, I think I think we get we just get scared. I think we 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 run scenarios through our mind where we pre-sell ourselves nobody wants to hear this message. Uh yeah. people are going to uh be a- a- upset at me, etc. So I I do think we have to preach the gospel, so to speak, to ourselves every day just in the way you said, this is good news. Do I believe that I am a beloved son of God and that what could be better than helping people gain that peace and oh, just that in the in the whirlwind of life we live in, where there's so much depression and anxiety and confusion, to just be that non-anxious presence in the world and and to have people begin to wonder why are these people so loving and kind and peaceful, and yet not just waiting for the chance to be heard because you know we it, you know a uh, a uh, red flag, you know, waving a red flag like in front of a bull for an evangelist is that that trope, you know, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary oh. <laughs> use words, which, you know, we all hear all the time. And it's like you you kind of smile and say, well, I think I know what you mean. Sometimes right. our actions get in the way of our words. And sometimes maybe we've been known to just kind of yell at people and not really listen. But most of the time when I hear that, it's from someone that's saying, I'm, you know, I'm volunteering at our local school or, you know, hey, our church went over and painted over some graffiti and that's the gospel. No, I mean, that that is that is living out our faith and loving people, which is fruit of the gospel. It's essential in building trust. I mean, we need to do those things. Absolutely. But without words, without communicating God's loving plan for people, the, the the peace that you have in your life because of Jesus, you cannot communicate the gospel without words at some point. And so I do think that we've got to just constantly, and this is the thing, there's no one thing we can do. We just have to be continually, as pastors and leaders, encouraging, celebrating uh, showing and telling stories of people that are even attempting to share their faith, celebrating anybody that's taking steps toward Christ, someone who is baptized, someone who has responded to the gospel. I think often evangelism is the is the last thing we do in in many local churches, or or, or we just don't know how to celebrate it and and hold it forward. But it's 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 an uphill battle. I would say in the best evangelistically minded churches. It just has to be consistently talked about, celebrated, um, finding various creative ways to remind people this is a powerful message. And when people encounter Jesus, it is life-changing and it's worth celebrating. Yeah, we've seen that at our church. Um, Our church uh, does does not have 
uh, we're, you know, we're a 91 year old church in the deep South and we're a fairly, you know, good sized church, but we don't have a great history of baptisms and evangelism. And, um, and so when I tell you what I'm about to tell you, it's going to sound good, but you got to understand we started at a really, really low point a few years ago. But, you know, last year we saw our baptisms doubled. This year we've seen them triple beyond that. Wow. And that, that's wow. been significant, which is a pra- praise the Lord. We're grateful for all that. But remember, we started at a really, really low point. It wasn't hard to have success. But I, I really think the two things that have happened at our church to see that happen have been intentionality and, mm. and, and prayer. We've yes. focused, we've had focused prayer toward that end. And we've, we've talked about it. We did a baptism Sunday this year where we saw literally 50% of our baptisms for the year happen in that one baptism Sunday. And so, and we put, you know, we built up to it for about two to three months with intentional mm-hmm. efforts to engage people who don't know Jesus. And we've pushed our staff and our staff has been doing a good job of leading and telling stories about sharing mm-hmm. the gospel with people. Yes. Uh, yes. And, and so to your point, Kevin, I think. I mean, certainly there's great resources, and we're going to mention one of your resources here in a minute that can be a benefit to pastors, but I, I don't want to overcomplicate this. I don't want people who are yeah. in a smaller yeah. church to think, well, I don't know that I have what it takes to do this. I really think if we make a big deal out of it, pray, you know, push prayer toward it, and we're leading in it, God's going to sort of honor that. I, I could not agree more. We you know we we uh, I'll, I'll say this as quickly as I can, but like we've been really blessed the last dozen years in Portland out of a season of real discouragement and feeling daunted. About a hundred pastors, we got together and said, "There's got to be more that we can do to reflect the love of Jesus in the most radically unchurched." Uh, city in America, you, you could argue, you know, home of the largest naked bike ride in the world. 15,000 people ride their bikes naked through the streets. I mean, it's just, it's a crazy place. But yeah. we, we began by building a relationship of trust with our mayor at the time, who was the first openly gay mayor of a top 25 city, and going and saying, you know, we know that we're known, unfortunately, way more for what we're against than what we're for. If we could mobilize 15,000 Jesus followers to love and serve Portland with you, what could we do? So long story short is we've have a 10-year t- track record now of thousands of Jesus followers from hundreds of churches loving and serving our schools, the foster care system, the refugee community, prisoner reentry. I mean, we really have kind of recovered the 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 um the reality of the church being a force for good in our city but the interesting thing was when we had a retreat with some of our key pastors less than 2 years ago what we realized was even with the Luis Palau Association helping lead this movement of the church in Portland we had put so much of our energy toward maintaining unity and and actively engaging our people to love and serve the community, we had t- totally taken our eyes off of evangelism. And I, I mention that because if the Luis Palau Association can get distracted, and I don't, I shouldn't even say distracted, loving and serving our schools, foster care, refugees, that is a biblical value. That needs no external justification. That is something we need to do. But we took our eye off the ball when it came to evangelism. So we formed an evangelism team in our city with Alpha, Crew, InterVarsity, FCA, Young Life, and a number of pastors that are particularly evangelistically minded. And we're just beginning this process of saying at, at a citywide level, how do we come alongside individual churches, large, small, new church plants, whatever size, and try to help 
them think more deeply about evangelism. We're doing one-on-one interviews with 50 key churches to say, what's working? What? Where are you finding uh, uh, some fruit? How are you equipping your people? And one key question we're asking is, have you ever identified the people within your congregation, large or small, that, that, you, that may have a particular gift or calling in evangelism? They're not going to be paid to do it. They're not going to have their own organization. But who, when you look at your congregation, do you say, wow, without me really having to push it or beat them over the head, they just naturally seem comfortable sharing their faith. They seem to be eager to invite people to church. Most pastors we found have never really taken the time to say, wow, God has given the gift of the evangelist. If you think of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher from Ephesians 4, you know, we believe that it is one of the, and, and, and Ed Stetch and others would argue, you know, is it a gift? But, but in any case, there are certain people, and most, some would say no more than 5% in any congregation may have a particular gift or calling. Identify those people. And, and we do have some, some tools and resources that could maybe help you identify those people and, and kind of give them a particular boost because they are a gift to your local church. There are people yeah. in your church that have this gift. Use them, honor them, maybe collect them together and just let them loose a little bit and recognize that you don't have to do it all yourself as the pastor. Right. I think that's right. And so let's, let's talk through that because one of the things we do, Josh and Sam and I, when we do this podcast, we love to provide some resources, especially if it's free, because a lot of our folks who listen are at churches where maybe their budget's not huge or they don't have a big expense account. You guys have a, a resource at, at a website, advanced2020.org. Talk to us a little bit about that, uh, Desert or Kevin, either one. Yeah, so so that's, that's part of, of my portfolio here um, at Palau, which really excites me, uh, is is being part of a global network of, of evangelists and people who are committed to the cause of sharing the gospel. Uh, part of this is uh, the formation of Advance, which is a, a movement that we partner with um, other organizations, particularly the Message Trust in the UK, who've developed this material, uh, who, which is particularly for the, the evangelist or those who have a desire to share their faith. And so we would love to encourage people to download this material for free, which they can do so uh, at the website provided. And, and this material is basically small group material, in a sense, for the evangelist. Uh, and we would like to encourage and accelerate the gift of the evangelist through forming small groups of evangelists uh, right around the world who would meet on a regular basis, uh, pray, share about some ministry opportunity, provoke one another to share the gospel and to also share some collaborative events that they can be a part of. But but part of the, the whole group mindset is to spend some time uh, kind of digging into the Word of God and, and growing and being challenged by the Word of God as well. And so this material includes about 10 sessions, uh, and we are asking groups to meet once a month uh, in a small group environment, and they can be creative in how they do that. It could be around a table where they share a meal. could be during a lunchtime somewhere. Um, we really um, are not too concerned about how it happens, but that this material gets into the hands of, of every person who would see themselves as gifted uh, to share the gospel in in, in a procla- proclamation sense of, of the term. Well, we what we're dreaming of would be thousands of these groups geographically located. So, for example, even in Conway or, or Chattanooga, you know, my guess is that no one's probably taken the time to ever say, huh, I wonder in Conway – 
you know, either either at a particular local church, certainly it can just simply be a local church situation where a pastor says, you know, even if I did identify people, and again, we don't want people to get hung up on the term evangelist because unfortunately people still tend to think Billy Graham, Luis Palau, Franklin Graham, you know, someone that has an organization and does big events. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about primarily people that are probably simply sharing their faith one-on-one relationally. Uh, or active in the local church. So, but the idea, these people can often feel a little bit like a fish out of water. Uh, evangelism isn't the most popular thing. Sometimes they can get frustrated. And frankly, sometimes they can frustrate the pastor because sometimes like, you know, just like your prayer warriors, sometimes they can get it slightly out of balance because <laughs> they don't understand why everyone isn't exactly like them. Mm-hmm. So I think getting people together that share that passion can help sh- hone and shape one another biblically so that they are a gift to the local church. So where they're not using the church like, well, oh, this is, this is to, so that I can get the church should all support me and my gift. No, you are a gift to the local church. Your That's job right. is to model how can you help people get a little more confident? How can you maybe take people with you and, and show them, you know, that this isn't as hard as you think? How can you help at your local church level inspire and equip? So it's not just about doing it as an evangelist. It's really more biblically. It's as much about inspiring and equipping the everyday believer that would say, oh, it's not my gift or calling, but we're all called to be witnesses. So mm-hmm. we think there's there's a value of of highlighting the office and role and gift of the evangelist, almost demystifying it and, and, and demythologizing it. And we think that this material, this advanced group material could be applicable at, in any local church context even. Josh, this is, uh, this is, it goes right along with my new book that released actually the week we're recording this, Leveling the Church. The book is really built on Ephesians 4. God gives us pastors and prophets and evangelists and teachers and pastors for the equipping of the saints for works of ministry, right? So this right. is exactly what, what, what Kevin and Des are arguing for, that God gives people a specific aptitude for training and evangelism in the church to develop those others around them to do more. And so I love this resource, this advanced2020.org resource that can go right in pastors' hands to help them do a better job at their church. Have you found that it's hard at your church to get people motivated toward evangelism, Josh? Well, you know, I'll I'll be honest with you. Part of the problem, I think, with evangelism in churches, and and this is a personal um, journey as well, is that a lot of us as as pastors who – are in this um, sort of field all the time. We're studying, we're talking. Uh, we we feel conflicted within our own hearts. And so I would say kind of as you pointed out earlier um, that people still think of evangelism in terms of Billy Graham and large, you know, tents and those sort of things. And we know that that's not true. And then we're, we're conflicted with like living it out. And so let me just say as somebody who's kind of like reformed-ish in my thinking, when, when we have these big – like, should we do these huge baptism Sundays? Is that is are we cheapening it? Is it should it be more natural? Should it be more uh, discipleship driven? Those sort of things. And what I have come to know is that we ought to, in one hand, very much hold a weighty theology and really uh, be sober minded about what we do. In the other hand, it is beneficial to the church to lead through evangelism series. We're going to launch one in February that. Many in our tribe have picked up called called Hoosier One, and it's Mm -hmm. an intentional 
motivating and mobilizing of the people. So I think, yes, uh, Micah, it, it is hard to motivate um, people, but I think it's also far worse when you start talking to actual church leaders and many of our listeners and say, they're like, they're not, they're not evangelizing. My, my response is, did you ask them to? Did you show yeah. them how? And are you giving them the tools and the resources to do that? You know, the whole, we know the whole tell, show, you know, let loose, that sort of high idea there. Um, and we're not doing that as pastors. A lot of times we just kind of, we, we preach against the come and see mentality. And then we leverage our entire calendars and schedules and efforts towards come and see instead of go and tell. So yeah, there's, al- there's also something to the idea that evangelism is addicting, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think evangelism is like in our life group, we have three or four marathon runners, which just make me feel like a miserable human being. To be honest <laughs> with you. But they, they constantly tell me that once they got through that sort of that barrier of starting to run, oh, yeah. like it's addicting. They just can't yeah. stop. And you're a runner. So you, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you're there too. Right. And uh, Sam does the same thing. I'm, I guess I'm the sloth in the group. But <laughs> I mean, evangelism is the same way, right? Like as we have opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus, we realize, oh my word, this is not as scary as I thought it was. And maybe even somebody comes to know Christ. I had one of those opportunities this week. I had a guy come in my office who has been visiting the church for a few months and he came in just, he's been dealt a really, really, really tough hand. I mean, life has been very difficult and he trusted Christ and walked out of there and he was bouncing and I was bouncing. Mm. And all I wanted Mm. to do was run through the hallways and go from office to office and say, you guys, I want you to meet this new guy, Josh, who just came Mm. to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I think there's something about evangelism being addicting that we've just got to, if we can, it's like the flywheel. If we can just get our people to slowly get engaged, it picks up steam as they do so. Can I add, uh, you know, another thought is the way that we refer to things. I think sometimes we, we inadvertently, um, you know, weaken the evangelism efforts when we primarily make it about bringing people to church. Um, that that seems to be the emphasis, and we yeah. and our church members pick that up. And so, one of the ways that I've done this and had a lot of people respond, even people who've been raised in church or grew up in church, I will regularly say, "Hey, go tell people about Jesus and invite them to your church." And just saying that added part there, people I've had people walk up and say, "I've never thought about it." It's like my job is to tell them about Jesus. That's not really the goal of the church is to bring them here so they hear about Jesus. That's going mm-hmm. to happen naturally. Right. But I go tell them about Jesus and then include them into my church. And yes. just saying stuff like that really kind of boldens what we're supposed to be doing. That is, that That's exactly, exactly what I was trying to get at. It really is encouraging. I think we're about up at, at the end of, the, end of our time, but thank that's you a ton to Des and to Kevin and Beyond just the time together today on the show, thank you guys for the work you're doing with the Luis Palau Association, helping engage evangelists around the world to share the gospel. That's right. It's Des, an exciting time. Yeah, it really is. Des, tell us, uh, tell our listeners how they can find out more about Luis Palau's ministry and uh, the organization that you guys are a part of. Thanks. Well, we encourage all the listeners to uh, to go and visit our website, palau.org, and, and through that, they'll be channeled to the various ministries that we're involved in. Thank you for the great privilege to be on your show today. Yeah, we're so glad that you guys were. I specifically asked Des because I love his accent. So, um, <laughs> absolutely appreciate you dropping that. Great. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate you, and we'll catch you next week. 
You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening.